Dotnet Rocks, episode 1001, with guest Mark Seaman. Recorded Thursday, June 5th, 2014. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Donnet Rocks. It's Carl and Richard. We're at the NDC. We're still here. Can you believe we're still here? It's I been a can month. believe we're still here. Well, I've been on the road three weeks straight. Yeah. Um, which is tough. I mean, I people think I'm crazy for doing the 24-hour turnaround, but if I had not done a 24-hour turnaround before I came on this last week one, it would have been months. I'm actually playing the time-shifting card here because we've been doing shows from NDC for a month. Oh, yeah, yeah. By the time this airs. Yeah, yeah this will be in a while. But we shot all of these shows within three days. Three days. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, then this happens to be one of the four show days that we're yeah, doing. So. Yeah. All right. But I, I have something interesting. Well, play that funky music. This is something that I actually used. So, not right. that I didn't use other things, but. You use lots of things. I use lots of things. Tell me about it. Long story short, doing a WPF project. Yes, you are. And. I was doing a WPF project, and the customer wanted the UI to scale. And that's all they said. They wanted to be able to resize the, U, the, the form, and everything should just get smaller. Okay. Um, and so this is kind of a problem with WPF because, you know, things are laid out the way they're laid out. Right. But it turns out it's not such a problem with WPF. Hmm. In fact, it turns out to be an easy problem to solve with WPF. Because of transforms and scaling and things like that. Okay. So somebody actually applied to scaling transform to the entire window and uh, posted the code. And if you go to tinyurl.com slash WPF scaling, you can see this guy's blog post. Uh, this is Jacob Johnston, a uh, software engineer with, interestingly enough, a love for music and sound. Ah, uh, like all kinds of smart people. Yeah. But uh, this came from a real-world problem that uh, they had where the customer wanted a scalable UI. I applied it to a pretty complex, um, you know, uh, form that right. uses lots of user controls that fly in and out from the left and the right and lots of uh, animations and transitions. I don't think I've ever seen this app. Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, this just works. You just uh, put this in your window and uh, this code Nothing and, to worry about. And nothing to worry about. There are a few gotchas that he does uh, So talk Jacob about. knocked it out of the park, is what you're saying. Totally knocked it out of the I park. I love it. And it, it's just great. So there you go. If you want it, if your whole WPF UI form to scale, just use this code. Awesome. Great find, dude. And it's, you know, if you walk through it, it, it does make a lot of sense. There's nothing magical. It's no. Just doing the work. Right. Cool. No, learn to love it. So love th- it. those three guys who are doing WPF applications. Both guys. Yeah. And Billy. <laughs> and Billy. <laughs> we'll be interested. So yeah. Next, we'll have to scale a web page. Yeah. Who's talking to us, Richard? I grabbed a comment off of show 980, and that's the one we did with John Sanmez. Mm-hmm. We talked about your career. And actually, this comment's not particularly career-oriented. His name is Mezfin that made the comment, but here's what he says. First, I'd like to thank Carl and Richard for bringing excellent guests every week. You guys have been my commute partners for the past few years, and I enjoyed many of the shows from pure.net development to JavaScript to DevOps to career advice and your fun things. Fun things. I'm going to call it that. Okay. Uh, coming back to this show's guest, it's John Sommis. John's plural site courses were excellent in helping me to look at specific topics and preparing for my last job interview. The course about IOC is, in fact, one of my favorites. Your interview with Jesse Liberty on yet another podcast was great, too. And Jim Rohn said, work hard on yourself as much as you work on your job. By continuously improving skills, not only did I get an intrinsic reward and become the go-to person when people want to talk about good design patterns and architectural decisions, but I also get the extrinsic award of working on cutting-edge projects. Not to mention I'm being able to double my salary within five years by working hard on myself. Yeah. Which a great story, and you know we got so many cool comments from the John Sanchez show, you know, focusing on career. But here's something I thought was particularly relevant for our conversation coming up with Mark. It is imperative for developers to take a holistic approach to life than just cranking code. I was one of the people that would code until two or three in the morning. A couple of years back, I decided to set up a health goal, and I finished a half marathon, and I've run several Ks since then, training for a full marathon later in the year. I've never felt better about myself. 
I now budget my time more properly than I used to, and I set up and follow up on my goals. Any.do, which is a website, any.do, is a great tool and integrates seamlessly with Google Chrome and Gmail. Your success is an inspiration to all ambitious developers and keep up the good work. And that's from Mesfin. I think really interesting, the late night working, you know, Mark's got some great thoughts on this as well. So we'll get to him right away and just talking about how we build code effectively and, right. and ways to do it healthy as well as effective. Yeah. You know, those two things go together. So Mesfin, thanks so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for all kinds of devices, including Windows Phone 7 and 8, Android, iOS, and Windows 8. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises. Who'd love to build you an app? Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. For all the devices except BlackBerry. <laughs> I guess that's true. Pretty much. Yeah, there is no BlackBerry option. BlackBerry, the only devi- the only platform Windows Phone can laugh at. Okay. Well, there's Tizen if you want to go laughing at things. But There's what? Tizen. What's that? That's Samsung's OS. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Could be. Could be. Could be someday. All right. And uh, that brings us to Mark Siemens. So Mark is a Danish programmer based in Copenhagen, Denmark. His professional interests include functional programming, object-oriented development, and software architecture, as well as software development in general. Apart from writing a book about dependency injection, he's also written numerous articles and blog posts about related topics. Despite being a .NET programmer, he takes most of his inspiration from sources across a wide range of technologies, including lots of pattern books. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, thank you. And uh, so, the voice. What happened? Yeah. So that it, lots of hard passing, I guess. No, mm, no, nah, not yeah. really. It's just a bug. It's just a bug. <sighs> yeah. I did. We're gonna have to call this the NDC bug because yeah, there's been a around. few folks we yeah. were talking to. It's going around. So far, we're still healthy. You still healthy? Yeah, yeah I'm still, I'm healthy. still healthy. So good. Sit yeah. back. Yeah, stay, stay healthy. <laughs> so a few whiskeys in last night, but I'm fine this yeah, morning. Yeah, that's good sterilization, actually. It is. You know? Yeah. <laughs> What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's what it is. Uh, Mark, it's been a while since you've been on the show. That's right. And I always appreciate your insights. You know, what is it about Danish developers? You're very thoughtful. Yeah. Very polite. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think actually I was talking to someone about that uh, mm-hmm. last night and I don't really count myself in that group, but there was a, uh, so, so you're thinking about people like Anna, Heitzberg and, uh, Bjarne Stolstrup who created yes, C++. Yes, right. Mads Christensen. Yeah, lots, lots of those people actually came out of the University of Aarhus as far as I remember. Which really? Is, yeah. So they, and apparently that, you know, computer science department at that time when they went there was really, really good. It's going to come down to yeah. a professor or a couple of professors. Yeah, yeah. So, and that it must have been good for a number of years because if you p- compare the age of, of God Stolstrup and, and Miss Christensen, for example, yes. um, I don't know if Mess is uh, from Aarhus though, but mm-hmm. lots of the other guys are. So I don't know, but that's just my theory anyway. But I grew up in Copenhagen and I don't have a computer science background. <laughs> so mm, yeah, okay. I'm just, I'm just scraping by. Neither of us have <laughs> comp side degrees either, <laughs> right. sir. So, you know, yeah. It is its own specialty. I was really fascinated about your session around cutting in the zone. Yes. It's something I talk about all the time in, okay. in the DevOps space, just this idea that – and we've had more movies around it. Remember the Facebook movie? They talked about the guys with the headphones. like, he's in the zone right now. Right. Getting into that mental state yes. of programming. Does being a musician help? I mean, you sort it, of – It is funny that you, sh- you say that because it turns out that uh, this is not just – a, for programmers or musicians, psychologists know about this and they call it flow. So that's the described mental state that you can be in. in and flow. lots of people can be in that. And particularly musicians is a very, very common example. And you mostly see it with people who improvise. So, you know, rock musicians, jazz musicians, not so much people who play off the sheet. Um, but th- it's this whole action of being very absorbed or focused in a task that, you know, an activity that constantly gives you feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a, you know, a very pleasant, positive experience. This is sort of the draw of yoga for people who don't aren't musicians, right? Maybe in meditation. I mean, this is sort of what does this I, for... I think yoga probably does something a little bit different because one of the descriptions of flow is that it involves an activity that constantly gives you feedback, right. okay. um, which is not really what yoga is about. Uh, yoga is about something else. I, I wouldn't I don't, know, I, mean, I don't really know what, <laughs> yeah. what it's about. But, um, you know, comedy... Yeah. You think, well, and we've all spent time on stage, like interacting with your audience. That that yeah. gives you flow as well. Yeah, it's yeah, really powerful. True. When yeah. you, you know when you've done a great session, you yeah. just connect with the audience and move. It's true. Yeah. yeah. 
So, so, but, but when programmers do this, we call it being in the zone. Right. Lots, lots okay. of programmers do that. And, um, and, and then you just, you know, you're, you're just writing code and you're producing code and you're looking up and you're just like, well, what was that five hours that just passed yeah, by yeah, and right. you didn't really notice at all. Right? When I, and yeah. back to the comment from the listener from Misfin, yeah. right? He's like programming till two or three in the morning. Yes. I think that's an expected pattern. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, but he's, he, I, he said something that I also thought was interesting because he said he had worked very hard in being the go-to guy. Right. And that's actually some of the things that I talk about because obviously you want to improve your career and you want to get better and better. But what also happens is when you become the go-to guy, it almost becomes your job to be interrupted all the time. Yes, Yeah. which is so terrible to flow. It, it, it totally destroys your flow. Um, so what, what I've just talked about here is actually how can you try to get some of the productivity back given that you, you can't really avoid all of those interruptions right yeah so you can try all sorts of strategies to avoid those interruptions but they've got to be there in a way so mm -hmm. so um so how do you actually how do you actually stay productive as a product you know as a programmer and also how do you keep on enjoying being a programmer because you know being in the zone is where we really enjoy ourselves as programmers right. um and and if, we, if we're not there it's it's not so enjoyable so i you know i have lots of former colleagues where you know when when they've been in the profession a couple of years they they get tired of it, tired of it and they don't like programming anymore and, and lots of people then go into management right and, sure and you know wh how they see that as a better option is <laughs> beyond me really but um but that happens, and I think that's really a shame because you lose lots of people just as they are becoming skilled. Right. They leave the profession, which is, you know, that's that's not a good way to bring the overall profession Well, forward. the Dilbert principle says they're systematically moved there so they can do the least amount of damage. Yeah, that. so there might be something about that, but I mean... <laughs> But I mean, if you're self-selecting yourself out of the profession, that, yeah. that yeah. might actually not be because that might not be because you're not skilled, but it's just because you lose the the enjoyment of 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 doing that. And I think part of it has to do with if you don't have a good strategy for how do you deal with these things, how do you deal with all the interruptions? Right. Um, you will lose, you know, faith in in your career choice. If you well, it's funny how you find developers who've done it, who are very experienced and skilled, who find ways to stay in the zone by being grumpy being difficult oh like yeah doing everything they can to keep people away <laughs> from them that that is one strategy yes yeah. yeah um but but then you really have to compensate by being extra 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 good right and i there's probably a few people who can actually pull that off i yeah. guess but uh, i i would not recommend that as a strategy well and i don't what think it's sustainable for our business right no, like not, you actually in no. this profession you as you get more experience you need to spend time sharing one of the things yes. that the uh the the the, the emailer I guess the uh, the guy who wrote the email said was that he's trying to figure what I got out. I was trying to figure out where the balance point is. Right. And as I get older, you know, this is this is what I'm struggling with. Right. Or I, I came to appreciate the balance. Right. I, like him, when I was younger, I was up till two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. And then, you know, figure it's just a it's great for the zone. It's great for being yep, in the zone. It is. But you wreck yourself, right? I mean, That's you true. physically wreck yourself, yes. and and mentally you wreck yourself too, because because you're not sharp, you know, the next day to to handle all the other right. things in right. life that you need to handle. So while you're well, it's sort of like you're you're moving all of your energy into uh, that you have into one aspect of life and and taking it from yeah. other things. And and it's funny you should say that because one of the things that I'm talking about is that again, if you if you go and, and look up what what psychologists have told us about flow is that they also have you know observed that flow can be addictive in there yeah. Yeah. yeah so um and you can get you know for example workaholism uh, is mm -hmm. that a, an english word yeah it's, sure yeah, right? yep. that is actually caused by flow because some types of jobs actually give you flow and then you get addicted to that and then you just keep on working because that's the only thing that really you know makes life fun for you anyway right. so so that's actually one of the, the things that i wanted to talk about in, in in the presentation that i just gave is that we need we need a way to break that addiction and still be productive um so it turns out so it, it flow does not have to be addictive but it can be one of the things that we came to in this john somnes uh talk is setting aside times and learning how to live by a, by a schedule right and it was one of the things that i had to learn and giving yourself time to have flow is something that doesn't seem very 
fair at first. It's like, oh no, but I want to do it now. You know, it's a delayed gratification perhaps, but, but you find that you actually have more time and you actually enjoy it more because you realize that, oh, this is, this is flow time. Yes. And especially when you get to learn how to control a little bit more. Yep. Yeah, uh, I think most people feel like flow is only happened to them. They don't really have control over and it. And if it doesn't just point. happen to you, it's not real, right? right. You know, which is BS. <laughs> but, then they, but then they set conditions like staying up late in the night right. to try and stimulate flow. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't. I'm not. Sh- so now you're almost talking about the Balmer peak, right? Uh, True. Or some, something like that, anyway. So you, right. you have to induce flow by putting yourself in a, in a mental state where. Well, you may get flow out of it, but it's unlikely that you will actually be productive because you're too tired to think. Right. Um, so that's not really where we want to go. So yeah. one option, as Carl uh, talks about, is to set aside time for flow. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, obviously that's the best, um, that's your best strategy. Um, but again, lots of people work in environments where they can't really do that. Yeah, I guess. Um, can you actually block out four hours, no yeah, interruptions, and, flow time? And you know, right. lots of people work in a, in a place where they have to be at the office. I yep. mean, it, it, if they're not at the office, they're not working. And I mean, that's the employer's view of, right. of, of how... And offices have phones in it. Yeah, and yeah, people. And, and people can come by and interrupt you all the time. Yes. So, so you may even plan that you set aside some time. Now I'm actually going to write some stuff, uh, but this is not, it's just not going to happen that you can just set aside four hours and then you know not be interrupted. That's not very likely, at least. Right. I found at first that the prospect of being able to live like that seemed very restrictive. And I want to be able to master it and be able to say, okay, here's my four hours, go. And to be able to do it and then come up out of it afterwards and, you know, okay, on to the next thing. And be able to have that control um, is just very power- empowering. It is. It is. Yes. So do you use the Pom- Pomodoro technique? Or, no, no. Uh, I just live by the Google calendar, man. I just okay. have a good calendar and I say, okay, this is time to do this. Yes. And now it's time to do something else. Yeah. It helps to shut down, you know. Turn it, yeah. I ended up putting email, Twitter, IM, Skype on one machine, and the machine I'm doing development on, no interruptions. Yeah, exactly. All that stuff is off of it. Yep. Yeah. Keep it away from each other. Are we actually addicted to flow, or are we actually addicted to actually producing something successfully? I, it, it turns out that we are addicted to flow. It's, it's so lots of things induce flow. Um, not only playing music, as we talked about, but right. also gambling is another example of flow, yeah. uh, which is not you know particularly productive, I guess. Um, yeah. um, it has lots of similarities with uh, you know your average drug addict. Or playing actually, Own uh, This World, perhaps. <laughs> Who would play Own This World? <laughs> game's gone. No, ga- games, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Candy Crush, oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, getting into the flow of a game. That's really true. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not particularly addicted to, to the productivity. That's, no. That's almost just because a, we'll, and like a said, side effect. You, you do that late at night to get the flow yeah. and you're not actually productive. Right. Right. So we, we can turn it into something where the beneficial side effect of flow, in our case, is actually being very productive. Right. Yeah. But it's not a given. It doesn't have, you know, it's not cause and effect. Right. Okay. So can, and I mean, the big thing here is like you block out a chunk of time to get into flow. How do you get into flow reliably? So, so the other thing I talked about is that, um, the problem with getting into flow with building software is also that you build, you actually build up tolerance. Um, so the, um, the more you know, and the more you know about how to, you know, write a particular piece of software, the more it takes to actually trigger the flow experience right. because you need to have a certain level of mental focus on a task before that flow state actually kicks in if you will so if what you're doing is too trivial your right. mind you're not sufficiently focused to trigger the flow state right um so if you just if you're asked to do something very trivial that that's not going to happen not going to happen yeah. so you get one harder and harder problems yeah so either you need to do that and that's we i also talk about you know extreme sports people also do that so there you have the explanation why people are jumping out of helicopters and you know skiing down the slope of mount everest right uh, because they've now reached the point where that's the only way that they can actually get a rush out of you know skiing anymore yeah. so uh, we should hopefully not you know get to that point where we're that extreme but fortunately though we live in a um, we 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 have chosen a profession where you know learning something new that is unknown to us it's you know it's very very easy to pick something sure. new there's always more yeah, to know there's always more to know yeah. so so that's one of the things that i've that you know personally happened to me i i've been writing c sharp code for like uh, you know since c sharp was originally published right. and it's a great language 
But I just think that I'm, you know, I've been all around C sharp these days, and it it doesn't really trigger that mental state for me any, anymore. So I'm moving on to other things now. Other languages. Yeah. So I just picked up F sharp because that was, you know, a natural thing when when you're a .NET developer. Because sure. When you're still on the .NET platform and you don't have to relearn the platform, but no. you're relearning the language. You are thinking very yeah. differently about how you absolutely, code. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's that's a way to make everything new again for me. Right. And that, it's not that I'm under the impression that F Sharp is the best language ever. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty good language, but it just gives me the enjoyment back. Right. You're um, back to, to yeah. being in flow easily. So that that triggers that flow state much more easily. Yeah. It's that interesting. Yeah. What about interruption management then? Like, what what do you do when you're finally you work in the cube farm as a coder and right. you're in, you're not going to get more than a half an hour without an interruption? Yes. So one of the things that I talked about is that it, it seems like it seems like there's a um, every time you're interrupted, there's a recovery phase afterwards yep. where you have to sort of try to get back into that that mental state. To if you pick will. the threads back up again. Yeah. And and. What I think is happening is that, you know, when we work with source code, what we actually do is we interpret the source code that we are looking at. We're almost like doing the work of the compiler, if you will, because right. we're, we're building up a mental model in our brain of what we think the code that we're looking at will do if we try to run it. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's kind of what we do. And the more complicated that code is, um, and the more there is of it, the longer it takes to build up that mental model. Um, so I think that's part of the explanation why that recovery phase is so long. So one of the things I talked about in my presentation here is that if you can make the code smaller, I mean, in the sense that if you can you know, decompose the code into smaller pieces, mm -hmm. then you have less to worry about. So, And that's also one of the things that functional programming does very efficiently, that it really enables something that something called isolation. So it's, isolation is kind of the jewel of encapsulation in the right. sense that isolation is this attribute of a piece of code that, you know, it doesn't really interact with the outside world. It's isolated from the outside world. Any, anything that has to do with the outside world is just, you know, coming into it through, you know, method arguments, if you will, or function arguments. So the more you can express a piece of code in, in a, you know, small, isolated way, the less you have to the less of a model you have to build up in your brain. So, so if you do that, you might actually go from, you know, instead of having to understand the, in, an entire system at a time, which takes, you know, may, that may take 20 minutes to build that mental model up in your brain. If you just need to understand what essentially fits on a single screen, you might actually be able to read through that code in a couple of minutes and say, sure. okay, now I'm actually ready to work with this stuff. And, and that means you're up and running in a couple of minutes instead of you know up and running in 15 or 20 minutes because what you're looking at is just so simple that you know getting back into that mental state is just much faster interesting yeah so i mean i feel like i would change my coding style anticipating i'm going to be interrupted like more documentation more sort of hooks so they'll be able to get back to this quickly yes take it back up quickly yes so another thing i do is also well i've been doing i've been doing test driven development for 10 15 years. Long time. Uh, long time, yeah. Um, and originally, I didn't really understand why I was... I, I guess I'm probably a little bit addicted to doing test driven development. Hmm. Um, and I, it wasn't really because before I started to um, you know, speculate about all of this mental state that I realized that one of the reasons I really like doing test driven development is because that unit test suite that I get also enables me to recover from a, an interruption yeah. very fast because I can ah. pretty much just go, I have no idea where, what I was doing before I was interrupted. Let me see. I'll try to run the unit tests. Okay. Now I know where, you know, where okay. I left and off. And the tests help yeah. drive you back into that space. They do. And they also tell me what was I doing? Where before. were you in the yeah. problem? Especially if one doesn't pass, right? Especially if if that happens, because yeah. then you immediately go into you know trouble, you and you immediately go into troubleshooting mode, and you right. say, "I need to get this thing passing." And then you, you back in, you've you, you've been pulled back in yep. by the code. Well, my my experience is doing the, the test driven approach. You tend to write the tests as you're thinking through the problem. Yes, so it's almost like the order. You know, and I've usually found that tests pass, and then they all start failing. Like you've gotten to a certain point in the code which is you've developed so far, uh -huh. and then you get beyond that part, and what you've written for testing is no, not going to pass. So it's almost like it's an indicator of where you are. 
Oh, so you you think it? Yeah. So, so you are, like some, the all the order of the tests almost helps you figure out where you are in the path. Oh yeah, if you read through the order, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, that that's something else that you can, you know. I all I don't always do this, but I tend to, you know, just append my tests to the file where they belong. So right. I'm, yeah. So I'm not just writing one big file, but you know, in the file where the test belongs, I, I tend to just append it to the bottom because that also gives you a pretty good indication as what, what was my thought process right. when I went through this. It's almost a path yeah. of thinking yeah. as well as yeah. a path mm. of testing. And, yeah. and, 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 you, and by the way, your source control system can help you with doing that. So, sure. so that's the third thing that I talked about in my presentation, how, you know, how tremendously different it makes your process if you adopt something like Git or Mercurial mm -hmm. um, because what Git and Mercurial does is because they're distributed and, they, you know, everything just happens on your local disk. Right. The, um, the feedback loop of, you know, committing something to your source control's history is very, very short. Right. So instead of having to wait and, and, you know, until you can contact some sort of central server and, you know, doing all of that handshake all the time, you just go one command line, you write a, a commit message and you hit enter and now you have a commit and then you can move on. Right. Um, which also means that you reduce the cost of making mistakes, which is another, you know, way of dealing with interruptions in the sense that if you can, if you can easily go back, so that's often what I do. I, you know, I just do lots of very, very fine-grained commits on my local disk. Mm -hmm. And then at a certain point, I discover that, you know, w what I did was, you know, not a good strategy. Right. I, I thought I had a good idea, but somewhere along the way, it turned out to be a bad idea. Yeah. So I can roll back and go in a different direction. Hey, Richard, you know what time it is now? Uh, must be that happy time again. You know it. Time to turn the crystal clear flow of this discussion into a cloudy trickle of obfuscation. <laughs> Great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. It's time to give away a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who won today, let's talk about DevExpress. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Awesome, dude. So who's our winner? Today's winner is Mike A. Diaz. And he just won the D-Experience subscription from Developer Express. So if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we give away sponsor stuff. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the Indeed. fan club. We like to ask our guests, you know. What if you had $5,000 to spend right now, today, on technology? What would you buy? Wow. So I actually have several things, but oh. you'll, well, you'll have to invite me back to get the other okay. ones. <laughs> uh, yeah. But the one that I have for today is um, I, I actually used to play the guitar before I started out programming. And I still have all my old equipment from uh, you know, the late 80s, start, the beginning of the 90s. Anything you want to sell? And, and we, that might actually be, yeah. I have some TC electronic pedals. Oh, okay, so, yeah. cool. Um, yeah. But I'm really looking to just simplify my setup and have okay. something. So I, I guess you can probably easily spend $5,000 and just new guitar tech. Um, you could buy a lot for five grand, mostly yeah. amplifiers. Yeah. I, well, I, I do have half of a Marshall tube stack. and uh, Okay, yeah. that kind of guitar. Yeah, but it's, right. you know. But just, you know, effects and so on. Yeah. What's that so. crazy guitar you had that was like two of the strings were bass strings and the rest <laughs> were... were uh, so that is a, believe it or not, that's a, uh, a Fender slash Roland. It's a Stratocaster, but it has a, a split pickup inside it that has a pickup for each string. Connects to a Roland guitar synth brain. And so each string can be digitally processed individually. So what I did is I wrote a patch to drop the two bottom strings an octave and turn it into a like a Fender jazz bass. Ah, I see. <laughs> and then the top four strings make them sound like a, you know, an, an ES335 or something like that. And I can send the top four strings out the left side and the bottom two strings out the right side, send the right side to a bass amp, send the left side to a guitar amp, and I can actually play bass and guitar at the same time. 
There you go. Wow. So I that's do, fun. I couldn't do that. Yeah. Well, it's very spooky because he's. I know there's just one guy playing, yeah. and it sounds like at least two instruments going. Well, right you know, it's the technology, but you also have to know how to play. Yes, like exactly. Bass yeah. lines, walking bass lines, and yep. stuff too. Yeah. In between playing the lead line as well. Well, you don't get to really play leads, but you can do voice leading and stuff with the chords that you're doing. So. Right. I, I should make a video of that. It's stuff. so cool, dude. Like I just sat and stared at you for <laughs> half an hour while you're doing it. Yeah. It's neat. It's fun. Anyway, I'm just saying, so suggestions guitar for guitar tech. toys. Yeah, yeah, for five thousand. <laughs> yeah, you, that'd toys, be a yeah. nice little guitar yeah. setup toy. Yeah, yeah. In fact, that could be a better no framework. Well, you know, what? <laughs> I'll, I'll do that. I'll make a, I'll make a, a setup. Uh, Here with, are the parts with Here's video how you and all happen. that stuff. That's yeah. a good idea. Yeah, that's really fun. Uh, jump back in here. Is flow actually good? For development like you already talked about this idea that we can do flow and not produce anything useful right so i mean we're better off avoiding flow for this no i, I don't think so because you, you you i think we are driven by our enjoyment of what we do sure i i at least i hope lots of people are doing that i, I mean obviously some people are also just you know writing code for money yes and then you know if that's you know perfectly good if they're doing that but i think what drives our profession forward is people who can't help think you know they can't help tinkering with the with new stuff and try right. try out new things and that's you know that's how everything is invented right yeah absolutely um, it's, it's, it's an obsessive tinkerer so but maybe spin yeah. this another way because you know you see this carl all time he uh, plays guitar and he's yes. clearly flowing when he does right. that and maybe that you know eases the addiction it's like a methadone program <laughs> so that you could do development <laughs> without being you know, forced into, into maybe destructive flow behavior. Right. So I'm just thinking that from time to time, people, you know, pop up and talk about how mentally strange programmers basically are. <laughs> I can't, you know, yeah. I can't remember exactly who said that, but it was just like the basic idea is the activity that we engage in when things don't work, you know. Right. The way the stuff that we need to go through by debugging or writing lock messages or whatever, that's where normal people give up and they They're just they, baffled. Yeah. So if you try to, to teach, you know, normal people, if you will, um, how to program, they, as soon as they run into one of those problems, they just stop and think this is not a, this is not an enjoyable activity. Yeah. How often all? do yeah. I need to do this? Oh, yeah. you'll do this every day. Yeah. Then I don't want to do this at all Ex anymore. Exactly. Yeah. So I think, you know, there has to be some sort of, of um, payoff involved in programming because I don't think even, even we programmers who really enjoy programming and none of us actually enjoy debugging, I guess. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually know a, a Danish guy who actually likes. I was a web performance guy yeah. for a reason, man. I, that, <laughs> I really like working through those kinds of problems, getting the gestalt of a system, right. seeing where those pressure points are. So, it's, but, a, right. it's a kind of debugging. But that is because you almost treat it like a detective thing. It is. is, is it? Yeah. Right. You're hunting for bodies. Yeah. Do you often get into a position where that's why you're called in yep. to solve? That's my yeah. job. So, so, so now you are at the scene where your job is to do that yep. and that means you can treat it as a, as a sort of a positive problem yes mm -hmm. but if you're actually trying to make a feature work you know and it stops not working then it's not a fun detective yes. problem anymore then it's just stopping you from moving forward mm -hmm. so that's a different mindset and maybe it helps to get into that different mindset I well know. and yeah. and, and, and uh, you know one of the biggest things that we do when coming into an organization is like hey you have a good problem if mm -hmm. nobody's using your software this would be working great so many people want to use it that it's struggling now. So congratulations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's still a problem, yes, but yeah. it's good news because they are very negative about it. Okay. And I think that's really interesting. You know, the way you're talking about this is just this. What I find great news, they're super frustrated about. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, taking a different viewpoint on it, recognizing different kinds of flows around yes. I think that's pretty powerful. Yes. yes. And, and, you know, it, there's probably still going to be, you know, personal differences. So what, sure. what, you know, what you enjoy may not be what I enjoy. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, to get into that, yeah. I do a lot of metrics, right? We start instrumenting the system okay. and so forth, okay. stuff that other people haven't done. And it feels now, in the, with your description, it's like going back through the check-ins, going back through... Yes. They, it's exactly the same thing. It's like you've got to pick up the gestalt of what's actually happening in the system before you can have a positive impact in it. Now, I do it with metrics on a, on a web performance right. test, and you're doing it with, with check-ins yeah. and units yeah. tests. Yes. But it's exactly the same exercise. Yes, that is true. 
Yeah. And then suddenly you have it. So then you see how the system's moving and you go, we got to go there. Yeah. And for folks who, who've never done that, they're just baffled. They, how, how did you know? It's right there in the data. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and it's right here in my experience. Yeah. yeah. Also. I yeah, guess. It, yeah. It is, it is, it can be a little voodooish, but you see that it, I, I would imagine, and I don't know that I've done this, but I'm really fascinated to do it now, getting into these habits so that somebody could interrupt you and you can very quickly pick up the thread and start writing code again. Like for a lot of folks, including me, I'd be, dude, how did you do that? Yeah. That's amazing. Because right. I'm used to those. I work late at night. Yes. I get away from people. That's how I've solved that problem. Right. So when you talk about being in the zone, do you, do you give people advice uh, as to how to get that? I mean, I don't think it's a big problem for programmers to get in the zone and stay in the zone. It's, or is it more just managing it? And uh, what what is the majority of your talk so uh, about? I, I mostly talk about how to get into the zone, dealing with all of those interruptions. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you're mentioning the the opposite problem of you know of the balance. H- yeah, how do you get you know your personal balance out of that? Yeah, yeah. I didn't go into that in in that presentation that I gave uh, right now. Right. Is this a problem though that developers have it, getting it, into it, the zone? It probably is. It has been a problem for me in the past. Right now, my family is very good at interrupting me all the time. So, um, um, and at, at a certain point, you know, every time I'm interrupted, I'm kind of like, oh, is that the time? And then at a certain point, it just seems reasonable that I sh- I should probably stop working. Well, stop. you know, I yeah. I, sh- I guess I should say that you know I'm 46, right? So. For, for guys like Richard and I, and yeah. you know, we, we're past the ADD age, right? And, you know, people that are younger are certainly, I think, a lot more easily distracted. That may be true. So I'm 43 as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm about the same. So that it may be an age thing, thing, actually. I, I just wanted to share because I, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about why is this working for me and why, yeah. why yeah. are these things not working for me? And I just wanted, basically what I wanted to do is to share the conclusion that I'd arrived at so far. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably going to be a you know, new revelation for me in the next year. Sure. <laughs> well, we've also seen the guys, and I bet you could name names, that are running around with a laptop. Yes. And at any given moment, they pop it up and start writing code. Mm. And then mm. something happens, close it, walk away. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and then... You know, five minutes later, they pop over right code again. And I'm yes. like, dude, is there any chance that that code is usable at all? Because <laughs> I could not work like right. that. Right. I think for some people, it probably works. I mean, yeah. there are some really, really scary smart people out there. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, yeah. if, the, if the problem they're trying to solve is a syntactic problem it, or if maybe. it's a particular technological line of code problem, yeah. And I guess but if a, it's an architectural a, problem, no. You need a plan. Right? Yeah, but I guess it's a factor of intelligence, the factor of obsessiveness. Like, what is it in their heads that is maintaining the thread? Yep. Interruptions. You also know, like, you could think of a few guys, like Iandy. Oh, like sure. That. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Iandy seems to operate a steady level. And I have nothing bad to say about it. No, 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 not at all. A steady level of distraction in regular life. Yeah. It's actually kind of hard to get him to focus on things like, "Did you want coffee?" Yeah, yeah. Right. right. Like, but he's a guy you see him pop up his laptop, writes up yeah. code, close it, go somewhere right. else. Like yeah. that. Thread is always running his head all the time, sure. no matter what else is going sure, on. Sure, yeah. It's almost like these people who can play, you know, ten, you know, parts of chess at the same time, yeah, blind. Right, right. And I think it's, it's, you know, some people just have this ability, and it also comes with experience or practice. Yes, you know, and it is just, a muscle you can exercise. Yes, yeah, so, so um, obviously, it takes a certain sort of mind to be a great chess player, and I'm not at all. Um, but I'm just, you know, I find chess interesting in the sense that it turns out that even though it has this reputation from for being something that is you know requires a you know very high levels of intelligence right it's actually turns out that it very much is a matter of training yes um however <laughs> talent is overrated the book i haven't read that there's one. a piece in the talent overrated it was talking specifically about okay. chess where it was a czechoslovakian mm-hmm. uh researcher and Given that chess was a learnable skill, and that's what it took. Yep. Sparing on his three right. daughters, who all made grandmaster yes. level, because and but it, the, and the big thing he focused on was it's about the training. That training yes. is inherently unpleasant, and normal humans will avoid it. Exactly. Right. You know that's what's interesting, and I I've seen this in you, Carl. Him practicing guitar, he's in the flow, yeah. and it's unpleasant. Yes. He's practicing yes. scales. Yes. But he's still there. Like I, clearly, he's getting reward from it. Right. But I've watched him practice guitar on the road trip for forty minutes, yep. and then play a song, yes. and then put the guitar down. Yes. But oh, it, you were talking about multitasking. How some people just naturally do that better, and it turns out that some research has come out that, that multitasking is a myth. 
and uh, that nobody's really that good at it. And there are some people that are, but most of us aren't. And uh, to to bring you to that study, go to tinyurl.com slash multi-myth. And this was done by the guys at Freakonomics, Stephen Dubner yeah. and Stephen... Uh, uh, Lewitt? Yeah, Levitt. Levitt. Levitt, Steve Levitt uh, from the University of Chicago. So they actually did a study, and or they talked about people who did a study, and where they picked this CEO who was supposedly the guy who could do everything all at once. Right. And, you know, who was on the phone in the car and this and that. And even his kids were like, oh, this, my dad, you know, he's always on the phone. He's always this self-proclaimed multitasker. And they gave him uh, a job to do while he was driving to be talking on the phone and remembering lists and stuff and to see how well he did at driving, see how well he did at remembering the things. Completely failed moves, really. Well, it just showed that everything you do eats into the same pool, so you gradually do everything poorer. Right. But right. What, I, what I actually think happens with you know those people who play 20 games of chess at the same time. Yeah. But actually, I, what I think is happening is not multi-threading, if you will. Yeah. What I actually think is happening is pattern recognition at a higher level. Right. Because what actually... So people who are really good at playing chess, they don't analyze the you know, position of individual pieces. They just look at the board and say, that's the position. My next move is going to be like this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, they, you, and they have a great memory for the history of chess and all those great games. Yeah. So they can and they just have games. a good intuition for it. Right. Yeah. And, and then I guess at a certain point, you go for the point where you don't, you have a good intuition, not even for a single board at a time, but you can actually just have a holistic view of 20 boards at the right. time, same time. So it's just not necessarily remembering things that I think it's just, yeah, yeah, you remember at a certain point, but you just remember it all. Right. It's yeah. not like you're remembering 20 threats. Not, it's just yeah. a whole that you remember if that makes sense at all right yeah, yeah. so he's not remembering a list of things like he has to repeat back like yeah. which they did in this no, test no no they probably couldn't reproduce yeah. it so right. if you were asking about what was that board position you know three yes. moves back they might not you. be able to yeah. it. I don't know I'm not a chess yeah, player no I think you're right yeah. really yeah. interesting yeah. actually and in some ways the context switch would help for that if you're a great pattern matcher then changing from one pattern to the next yeah would actually help you. So, sure. So that's what you were talking about before where, where you know, you, some of your customers sometimes think, how did you arrive at that conclusion? Right. And you say, it's all there in the data. Yeah. And the, the but reason, I can read the data super fast because I, ma- I know be- the pattern. Because you right. know how to do that particular pattern matching because you practiced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's another book by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers. Yeah. I right. think. The, thou- the 10,000 hours. The 10,000 ten, the ten hours, yeah. Um, so, and I guess most of us, at, at, when you're turning 43, you probably have locked way more than 10,000 hours of programming. Yeah. So You would hope. Yeah. I think I'd, I have anyway. Anytime I'm sitting at one of these conferences or I'm just sitting alone playing my guitar and somebody comes up to me and says, wow, how long have you been playing? My answer is about five minutes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so I, never get, yeah. I never get tired of that. But, but no, yeah, you know, it's 30 years, right? I've been playing yeah. like 30 some odd years. And the answer is, you know, you do anything for 30 years and you get good at it. Yep. So, you know, every exactly. day, every day exactly. for 30 some odd yeah, years. Yeah. I also appreciate your willingness to continue to practice. Well, it's just because I love it. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing that he said in Outliers, too, is that yep. the people that do well at something tend to love it. Yeah. Because, they, yes. because they, that's that's why. Yeah, That's why I'm, they do it so much. I'm really hooked on this idea that flow is inherently pleasurable, and it's how you could make practice pleasurable. Because practice is inherently not pleasant. That's right. right. So practice only works when it hurts. When it hurts. So, if, but if you can practice in flow, you've got a positive brain stimulation to something that's otherwise painful. That's why you know. How do you get out of that amateur stage, right? Because if practice continues to be painful, eventually you're going to give it up. But you get better and better and better at practice, you get into the flow, that gives you the positive return, you can ascend to the higher Now, place. I guess, now I don't know, I don't know because I don't exercise, but I've been told <laughs> that, you know, when you do exercise and it hurts, you know, then you people can get a, a high from that sure. because they feel, oh, well, this means I'm getting stronger. Right. Or there's right. also the you know, well, runner's so, high is a thing. Oh, runner's high is yeah. definitely endorphins and yeah. things. But, but pain, I saw a t-shirt that says... Pain is weakness leaving, leaving the body. That's it. Mm. Yeah. You know? And so some people can actually get uh, motivated motivated by pain. Right. They're trying to get to that point. Right. So, which, yeah, I find it really interesting. They, yeah, they, I'm really hooked on this idea now that flow is the reward that's sufficient mm. and that will cover up a lot of other sins. But I, what I think is important here is and to get into flow, you have to find something that is sufficiently difficult for you to, yes. to you know, Make your brain focus on what it is going on. Right. But if it's too hard, you give up. 
Yes. Uh, because that doesn't really induce flow. It just, you know, it, it pulls you out of it again. So, so what a good teacher can do or what a good, you know, music teacher could do or whatever is to always keep you at the right balance saying, well, now you have to practice this particular, you know, right. piece of guitar playing or in programming. Now you have to practice uh, or do to try to solve this particular right. programming problem. This progression it, it, of, it, of scales. Yeah. Like, and it, they have to change because it, it, once they're not hard enough, you're not going to put you in flow anymore. Exactly, because there's this, you know, people talk about, well, it doesn't really help if you have 10 years of experience if it's, this, you know, one year repeated 10 times. Absolutely. You have, deliberate practice means you have to always push the envelope a little bit. Yeah. When it also speaks to the role, what coaching really does. Yes is create plans to keep you in the flow. Yes. If you have to also be responsible for creating those plans, you spend less and less time flowing. That might be true. You know? And I think some of us just, you know, I never could get into the flow thing with my guitar. Right. So, because I was just, you know, I wasn't a good enough guitar player. Right. But, but then, you know, picking up programming, that resonated with me. Yes. Uh, so that you know, just felt natural for me to, you know, I kind of figured out how, how to, how to do it, you know. Um, Let me throw one more yeah. book into the mix because we've got, yep. we've got uh, the Freakonomics reference. We've yes. got Outliers. Uh, Outliers. Outliers. We've got Talents Overrated. Uh, so good they can't ignore you. Okay. And that's actually a quote from Steve Martin. Yeah. Uh, but it, what it, it's, it's really a book about debunking the whole idea of, you know, follow your passion. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so you pick a passion out of the sky. That's what you're going to do. It's going to be great. And it talks more about exercising skills and finding out what resonates with yes. you. And that was a better liar to finding passion. It, that there's an effort in front of it. There's and I wonder if that effort passion. is actually flow. Huh. You know, like you played guitar, you like guitar, yeah. you couldn't get to flowing yeah, in a guitar. Not, not that much, no. And, but then, you know, you got to flow in programming, and we've yep. all had that experience, sure, sure. and that drove things further. Yep. How yeah. many people have you met that, you know, when you asked them, how did you came by to be, you know, whatever it is to do right. today? Not just programming, but everyone. Yes. And, it, and people always say, well, it's funny because it's actually a coincidence. That, right. you know, yeah. So right. many people have that story that they never planned out of being, you know, a, a heart surgeon or whatever they just you know they had a generalized direction that they thought i'm, I'm gonna try this out but then you know when you when it gets time to specialize they try it out different you know, sorts of things and then they found something that resonated with them sure. that they were good at yeah they found and, and yeah. i think is that resonation actually that yeah. flow effect that's, that's, yes. that's why my advice to kids is just be awesome <laughs> <laughs> seriously i'm just be good at yeah. what you do and you know be be the best whatever it is that you're doing and just continue to to do it well. And when we both have kids in college and they're trying to feel around for what they want. Right. And so this I, I just like this idea of exploration is really about pressing against something long enough to see does it flow for you or not. Yeah. And how far mm-hmm. do you have to press to get to flow. And, before, and if it, it flows, then maybe you do more of it. And if it doesn't, you go into something else. Yeah. Right. You just you, you feel your way around and don't, you know, don't well, be afraid. We know, and, we know from outliers that 10,000 hours is a big commitment. It is. So you can't say, it's going to be guitar. I'm going to start on my 10,000 hours right and now. The fact is, you don't know. You right? don't know. But maybe there's a certain number of hours to get to a point where if I'm not flowing now, I'm not going to. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. Ma- it's a smaller number. But you, can't, you also can't give up if, if success doesn't happen In to the you first right minute. away. Yeah. Right. So you know, if you like it, you keep doing it. Yeah. Something good will happen. You well, know? I would argue that's what a, a great teacher would help people get to flow sooner. Yes. So that, that they not become self-learners around things. That, that was kind of what I meant before, yeah. 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 Mm. That's really interesting, Mark. Hmm. 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 Got mm. me thinking. We're going to have lots of show notes uh, on, on yeah. different I, I, books. I can foresee lots of comments on the <laughs> website. Yeah. yeah, this is not the conversation I thought we were going to have, no. actually. It's because it, it's disassociating productivity and learning from the pleasure of, of being in a flow. You know, they're not necessarily the same things. No, but they interact. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, and, and what I'm trying to, to go at here is that, you know, make the pleasure work for you. I mean, yes. do use that as a motivation, but you know, it also needs that you have to figure out how to manage it. Right. Both how do you kickstart it, but also how do you get out of it again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it and I wonder if there's know. also a part here about, like you said, how many great programmers we know that are also excellent musicians and they're both flow activities it's like yeah. for someone who yep. does several different activities that ultimately involve flow yep. do they get better and better getting into that mode right. are they naturally more agile with that 
is they do it's a much more regular thing. And you've seen those folks too. That's like, oh, they also rock climb, right? It's just yeah. like there are all these sort of obsessive behaviors that you can do that get you focused. <laughs> yeah, there's a big correlation between programmers and musicians. And oh, also, huge correlation. Yeah. Yeah. You see it and all then, the time. And people who cook, you know, that's another yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah, I've had that conversation a few yeah, times yeah, this yeah, week. Yeah. And recently, barbecue and bourbon. Yeah. I don't know. What, what the, that's probably our fault, Richard. There you go. We're causing trouble again. Yeah. Well, uh, Mark, what's next for you? Um, so um, I think I'll probably write some more coat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, so I have, a, I have a small company, um, which is a partnership between four, four guys, and I'm one of them. And we build you know, small custom-based software solutions um, and run them on Azure. Awesome, and, great. Um, that's, that's probably what I'm going to do next. And uh, then I am, I am actually thinking about writing another book. Um, I, know, I don't really know what's, when that's going to happen. but uh, Very yeah. cool. And what's um, making you, I mean, book writing doesn't make money, man. No. And yet, again, a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, but, you know, if I, if I took all the hours that I put into writing the first book, um, yeah. And divided those by the, you know, the, my royalties. It's not, sure. it's not a good hourly wage. No, it no. isn't. It's, it's a good also, resume. Yeah. you talk about flow and writing right. too. But there's just something about, you know, I have, you know, I think about some things that, you know, fit pretty well into a blog post. But then right, right now I've been spending the last year thinking about some things about, you know, how to, um, how to think about composition, if you will, in sure. software. And, and it's just a, that requires more treatment than just a series of blog posts. That actually requires maybe 100, maybe 200 pages to go through um, in, in a, you know, in a rational manner. So sometimes you just, I think sometimes you just need to write a book. Or maybe it's yeah. just like, you know, the, um, the, um, the sculptor, you know, there is this book inside of this tree that wants to get out. And right. I'll, I'll I gotta have to go let it out. Uh, yes. Take I'll out everything that out. isn't the book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I really like you. Like you have to think through a whole idea to make it into a book and you know, and you, you're itching it. Spend the time to think it through. Yeah. And so the manifestation of that thinking will be the book. I hope so. Yeah. That, that's really cool. I like that. <laughs> Mark Seaman, thank you very much for dropping by. Thank you for having me. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a...